The opinions expressed in the following program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media. My uncle's home had a forest nearby. He loved all the animals, so he left his supper scraps outside. It was his generous intent to feed every stray that crawled, walked, or flew his way. While visiting my uncle one cool autumn night, through the kitchen window, my eyes did alight. Upon those supper scraps in the pan outside, I saw such a sight. It was terrifying as the moon climbed high in the sky on that cold, clear night. The small woodland creatures would not have their meal. It was a Sasquatch I saw gobbling it down with such zeal. I bolted the door and my camera I fetched. A photo I must have of this giant wretch. Back into the woods, the Sasquatch loped with big feet. And I wondered just how long a Bigfoot had been coming to my uncle's to eat. It left a stench in the air, horrid and foul. And as the hairy giant disappeared in the woods, I heard an odd howl. Brought to you by WKTV, I'm Wayne Thomas. Welcome to another Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast. Cryptozoology, the study of animals whose existence is disputed or unsubstantiated. Folklore, modern myth, legend, supernatural omen, lake monsters, mothman, gargoyles, oh my. It's my honor to welcome Chetan Noir back to the studio. First, let's meet our panel in passionate pursuit of the paranormal, Brandon Jose, and setting in for Kim Colleen, guest host, Mary Bassett. So what is it you guys bring to the table? I'm Brandon Jose of Kent County Paranormal. I've been investigating the paranormal for about, about nine years now on a couple of different teams over the years, but... <laughs> And I'm Mary Bassett. Um, I am a channeler, a spiritualist, a psychic. I have a shop in Hastings where I do energy work and Reiki healing along with several different other avenues of um, spiritual healing work. And it is my pleasure to finally see your face, for one, <laughs> and to introduce Shatan Noir. She is an author of several books, a journalist, 25 years of cryptozoology, She's a lead investigator for the Michigan chapter of North American Dogman Project. She has a podcast, Into the Liminal Abyss, a paranormal investigating team, the Michigan Center of Unexplained Events and Phenomenon. She teaches and lectures and flying cryptids, Bigfoot, and lake monsters. Where do you get the time? <laughs> oh, well, I'm self-employed for one, so um, pretty much it's up to me to earn my paycheck, so that's pretty much the deciding factor on everything I do. So, um, but lots of research and just uh, having my ear to the ground to where new reports are coming from and what kind of things are being reported. You just fascinate me, I'm not gonna lie. I've been yeah. looking forward to this. Everyone in this room has a passion for the paranormal. I don't know if it's as much as what you do though. Because your work really takes you all over, and the, the research that you do must is extensive. Well, I I do a lot of research, but for the last couple of months, it's been a lot of digital research, um, interviewing people over um, like through emails, um, with the libraries being closed down, ordering books from Amazon, or finding free copies on uh, like Hulu or not Hulu, um, Hoopla is the library service where you can uh, get books for free and download them. 
And so just um, reading as much as I can and researching and, um, but you know, talking to, to, to real people also helps because you get that. Um, it's always good to compare notes and to see what other people have experienced or researched and compare it to your own research and see what the, the common connectors are and or the the deviance of you know could this be leading us into a new uh new case where somebody is reporting a new sighting of something and it hasn't been documented before the book that mary has in her hand read the title mary mothman and other flying creatures of the midwest yes now in that book you did a lot of uh, you had interviews with people so it's it's their testimony yes. in the book i love that part of it yeah, I really, um, that's one of the things that I, I am very adamant about with um, any of the books that I write is finding people who have done a long research into certain creatures because not everybody researches all cryptid creatures. Some people just specialize in Bigfoot or they just, you know, specialize in Mothman or like monsters, but they even hone it down even more so that it's, you know, some people just, um, if, if they have a certain, um, like creature in there, like, um, for instance, the Ohio grass man, yes, we know it's a Bigfoot, but it's a, it's a little bit of a, a, a variant of a Bigfoot because of its color and its behavior towards humans. And there are people who just research that cryptid. Um, the same with the, um, legend of uh, Boggy Creek or, or Momo or um, the um, Honey Island Swap Monster. These are creatures that are well known in that area that people, they, you know, yes, there's all these other different cryptids, but they focus primarily on that cryptid and they, they research it. And that's what I do with my books is I find people who have done long-term investigations into different cryptids and it's really their expertise that I'm, I'm asking for with the interviews that I do and um, then they go into the book and so you're getting you're getting actual um, and nobody's really an expert in anything of high strangeness or cryptids or UFOs or um, the paranormal because it's you can you can invest something for years but until you have the cut and dry evidence um, that can be scientifically proven over and over again, then it's really hard to call yourself an expert. You can be very, very well versed in that subject and have years of experience and knowledge, but tomorrow you're going to learn something new yeah, hopefully. that you've never that you've never experienced before. And so that's kind of where I, I, I pump the brakes on calling anybody an expert in these fields. But there are a lot of people who have vast amounts of experience and knowledge and who have done years of research and they are the foremost people um, to go to to ask these questions about you know these different topics yeah we're gonna spend more time talking about Bigfoot and you, you hit on some of the names the Ohio Grassman mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the same creature just by different names I know um, Sasquatch is one of the names of course and then they call it hairy giant skunk ape skunk skunk ape is more louisiana and florida florida um which right. you have to understand with with bigfoots it's like it's kind of like with skunks so here in michigan we know our skunks are black and white and they have that classic peppy Le Pew look to them but in other areas of the country the skunks are a little bit different size they might have a different color pattern but they all do the same thing. If you get close enough to them, you're going to stink to high heaven <laughs> for the rest of the year <laughs> or until you, you know, find a solution to get it off. But they're all skunks. But some people might call them stinkers or, you know, uh, some people call them kitties, uh, which is really, really bad because they're not cats. They're yeah. not kittens. <laughs> and that's like the funniest thing you can actually do to a kid. But like the worst thing is, oh, go grab those kittens. <laughs> <laughs> They're not kittens. Um, and no, I've never done that, but it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I don't have any children. So that's why it's not your in. own kids, because they, when they get sprayed, they right. got to come back in. <laughs> right. When we had Phil Shaw in here, the Bigfoot guy, he said you might smell a Bigfoot yes. before you see it. And, that, and that's common with anything. There, there are a lot of creatures um, out there. Skunks are one, but foxes um there's a lot of different 
animals that they produce the same obnoxious odor. And because we're all very familiar with that skunk smell, whether they've sprayed outside your house or you've driven past one that's been hit, everybody can recognize that skunk smell. But there's, there's very similar smells. Catnip can have that smell. Uh, foxes will produce that smell. Marijuana produces that smell. <laughs> I hate marijuana, but it produces that smell. And so when you're out in the woods and you're, you're hiking and you start smelling that, you have to go through that checklist fast because whether it's a Bigfoot or a skunk, you want to be at a distance. I've heard of marijuana being like skunky smelling. Yes. Yes, that's why they call it skunk weed. Yeah. Yeah. You don't bring none with you, though. No, I don't. You hate that stuff. I hate that stuff. I know you talked about it before. I know. And then there's still some other names, too. I'm kind of fascinated with with these names because the abominable snowman. Well, that's more more what they consider a yeti. Yeti. And that is is actually, um, it was never meant to be called the abominable snowman. But because when the message was sent from the Himalayans back to Europe, some of the, because it had to be sent through a couple different um, telegraph services, and nobody, um, with the words being translated from one language into another, it kind of got jumbled. And so you, when it finally arrives in Europe, they're translating it to this abominable snowman. And a lot of people, you know, they think, oh, you know, Bigfoot, but it's actually, it's its own variation in the bipedal primate. And it's more what we would consider the Yeti um, that lives in that part of the world. A little different than our Bigfoot yeah. Sasquatch. Oh, yeah. okay. And a lot of people like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with, you know, the, the bumble. That's, you know, that's what's kept it going all these years is, is one, one, the creature, but also the, the, um, it's not even a cartoon. It's a claymation, I think. Right. Uh, red, it's kind of a lov- a, more of a yeah. lovable type yeah. of creature. Kentucky has Bearilla. Mm-hmm. Now, is that more of a dog man or do you know? Uh, that is one of those where I put it in the box with a question mark because it depends on the eyewitnesses who have seen it and what their description is. So with Bigfoots, we look for telltale signs height, you know, coat color, did it have noticeable ears, did it have a big butt, did it have a tail, what did its, you know, legs look like, were they human-like, um, or were they, you know, what you th- would think a werewolves would be. These are deciding factors on whether it's a Bigfoot, Sasquatch, or a dogman, um, is can you, did you see ears, did you see a pronounced snout, did it have a tail, okay, that's a dogman. Right. You know, they're both very big bipedal creatures in the woods. But then we have some, you know, there'll sometimes be these question mark areas where the people are like, no, that's not what it was. It was, and they give a different description. And so suddenly you're, you're working, you know, with a whole nother set of facts. But I will say this, um, with a mom who works with black bears, um, it is a well-known fact with you know anybody who knows black bears that they can work they can walk on their hind legs and can do so for as long as they please right yeah and they're huge they can be the yeah. the, the kodiak bear is huge yeah very big right now the ojibwa called a bigfoot wild man as did um chinese they both referred to mm-hmm. uh, as wild man so I, I just think that's inter- interesting the different names even the aztecs had a name for Bigfoot, uh, new new Mick, mm-hmm. and these sightings go back, way way back. But there, there's one that you're missing, and this is this is kind of interesting because, with the Native American tribes in the Southwest, they were encountering a Sasquatch that they called the Wendigo, ah. and it was actually cannibalistic. Now that creature is different in theory than what we encounter here in the um, Great Lakes and up into Canada, where it's a, I want to say it's a more of a demonic entity that takes over a human being and causes them to do really uh, horrific things with um, an insatiable hunger. So they, they cannibalize themselves, they cannibalize anybody who's close to them. But the south, in the Southwest, the Native American tribes 
um, there was a population of Sasquatches that they referred to as Wendigo, and they had reddish hair, and they were known cannibals. And they actually have found caves where there were large bipedal primate bones, but there are also smaller human bones. Something was eating something. I wanted to fill the studio with hairy bipeds, but we had to settle for me. I'm not quite as hairy. I was able to get a haircut. Oh, finally, yeah. you know, I'm feeling more human. Well, that, I should have brought my pen so I could take no, notes. I'll take notes on the podcast because yeah, I'm interested in that without a doubt. In every continent, every culture, except Antarctica, has. Yeah, Antarctica is really. Um, you know, we there are humans who have been there, and throughout the decades, it it's actually become haunted because of the human populations. But really, for for things that live there, um, you're looking at orcas, you're looking at seals, you're looking at you know things that can survive those very cold depths. But here's one that I'm going to throw at you: Did you know that there is actually marine reptiles that could survive those temperatures? Oh. Because they had um, a insulating layer of fat. So trapped in the ice in some pocket of the world, there may be a plesiosaur, pilosaur, mosasaur, or something of that nature still preserved in ice to this day. We just haven't come across it yet because it's, it's trapped in the ice. It totally surprises me because I researched how many reptiles there are on Michigan because of our cold temperatures mm -hmm. here and because of you and, and the lake monsters. You know, another one of your books, Lake Monsters and Creatures of the Great Lakes. Another great book. I love that book. And uh, Mothman, too. Now, you really packed Mothman with information. But I don't want to move off of a Bigfoot yet okay. because I want people to understand. I have friends and a friend, a Facebook friend in Ireland. Uh -huh. And then Ireland's referred to as the, the island, the um, Emerald Island. Mm hmm and I really think that Michigan is the should be called the Emerald Peninsula. I mean, both both peninsulas are are just covered with forest. You know, I made this map up. Well, I do want to say the map on your shirt is not accurate. There, you can tell the Upers <laughs> uh, kind of like picking on the <laughs> the lower peninsula there. Yeah. I think a little bit. This part, <laughs> this part right here, of the upper peninsula is just loaded. Well, we're, what I always tell people is, you know, people question whether a, a Bigfoot or a large, you know, predator can live in, in certain areas. Here's the thing. If you have within your state any areas that have farms, that grow corn, that draw deer, rabbits, or anything else, you have the potential for a big predator to be there because what feeds and kills on the deer other than humans and like dogs or canines a bigfoot a dog van mountain lions things of these natures right. wolves coyotes yes right now uh, that's what it says it says a uh, prime real estate dense forest swamps vast farmland plenty of fresh water never yeah. more than six miles from water river streams inland four great lakes and Michigan, Michigan has a, um, even though we have a shorter growing season, we have lots of orchards, lots of fruit farms and things of those natures. And depending on what part of the state you're in, like over towards me, we have more apple orchards. But I know over here, you guys have more of the blueberry, blackberry farms. Right. And going up north, you have even more of a variety um, because their growing season is a little bit off for ours. So... You know, you're looking at creatures that have a free will and can move wherever they want, so they just follow the, the, the crops as they, they come in. Phil Shaw seemed to think they like to stay by the rivers. Rivers are, as long as they are not rapids, rivers are very easy traffic um, for any creature to, if you're walking, to travel and not leave tracks. If you're in the river itself, it's any tracks that are left are going to be, you know, uh, with the water current, they're going to be washed away. You might find some along the banks, but rivers are very good um, areas of traffic. Well, along with that, it's also a water source, and you know your prey is gonna come yes. to water as well. Right, so. right. 14 billion trees in Michigan. 
I'm wondering who countered them. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want that. Forest service? <laughs> That's tedious work. That's a lot of counting. Yeah, 20 million acres of forest in Michigan. 19 million of those acres are considered timberland. And so 53% of Michigan is forest. At one time, 95% of Michigan was forest before the lumber industry uh, took over. So this is prime real estate mm -hmm. for Bigfoot and Dogman, like you say. It's no wonder that we have, I got us as fourth in the nation for Bigfoot reports. I don't know if you have a higher number than that. Um, I think we are, we're between four and seven. Um, I think it depends on who's collecting the data and what reports they're looking at and if they have any biases, like my state has more. Um, but I would put us within, within that four to seven area um, just because there, there's some give and take. Um, especially like within the last, you know, four months, because not that many people were traveling. And as we know from news reports around the world, animals started coming back into um, like uh, civilized areas. And so more it's and not, more all the time. and so with the human presence being drawn back, the wild aspect is going to flourish and so that's when you get more um, not just the Bigfoots and dogmen but you get everything that is not human is going to flourish because they don't have to worry about any predation from humans um, I'm sure they were almost you know questioning where the humans were because uh, there was such a drawback and these you know with it being springtime and everything I'm, I'm thinking that a lot more babies were able to be born and make it to adulthood. Um, and less of them were getting hit by cars, you know, things of that nature. So um, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and I wish, you know, we did have like CCT cameras everywhere so that we could see uh, how these creatures, you know, functioned without our presence. Yeah, I mean, Michigan, like I say, prime real estate, and you said there are some discrepancies, whether we're fourth or seventh, but I had us down as having even more dogman. Yeah, so some of the experts are saying that we have more of a dogman presence, and from talking to different investigators, um, both Bigfoot and dogman, what we have all come to the conclusion of is when the dogmen move into an area or a territory, the Bigfoots move out. Yeah, I don't blame them. Because the, in theory, the Bigfoots are more solitary. And if you, like if you have a mom with children, um, she's going to have a family group, but the males might be very um, solitary and they only come into a group setting when they can breed. But if you look at wolves, coyotes, foxes even, dogs even, we have a basis for the understanding and the thinking of dogmen are actually a pack creature. So if you have dogmen and move into an area, everybody says Bigfoot could win against dogmen, against one dogman. If you're taking on a pack of five, yeah. no. Right. You're not going to win that fight. I don't care how big the Bigfoot is, um, the dogmen are going to figure it out. Because they are a pack hunter, they have figured out throughout their lifetime, throughout their generations, how to take down any predator or any prey. And whether it's a deer, whether it's a cow, whether it's a, a bison or a moose, whether it's a human being or a dogman, they, they have hunting techniques to do this. Now that tape that I played, that should be an example of part of their language, but they have other ways of communicating. With, with the Bigfoots, yes. There's been documents of the different howls that they do. But there's also recordings of what they call the samurai chatter, yeah. um, which is like, blah, 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 blah. and it's really interesting <laughs> to hear. Um, it's almost like, you know, and, and, and the younger generations are going to be like, what? Um, when we used to have the old um, CD tapes and we'd fast forward it and yeah, yes. or we rewind it. That's what that samurai I have chatter. another example of the okay. samurai. Yes. I don't know if you can hear that or not. 
So yeah, oh, it's wow. you know they they have developed their own communications, and with when you look at the the human skeletal features and our muscular features and how we are developed compared to one of the great apes or um, orangutans or anything of that nature, we all have vocal cords. So it is not too far of a fetch of thinking that they could actually start adapting to human speech because they have learned to mimic. Uh, they, they have learned to mimic different bird sounds to communicate, distress sounds of other animals to draw in other animals. They do whistles. Yes, they do whistles. So if they can make all these vocalizations, then it's not unheard of or that far uh, out of an idea that they could actually start to learn human speech. Parrots do it. Yeah, I had a bird that had said 17 different phrases. Yes. Sentences. <laughs> Which can sometimes get you into trouble. Depending yeah. What saying. Well, because they pick it up without you trying yes, to teach them, right? Yes. Once they start learning. Mm -hmm. So I have whistles, knocks, growls, the whoop, howls, yep. high-pitched screams, the sh samurai chatter, which you did a nice example of. I like that. The most compelling evidence is what? I don't. What is it? A footprint? What do you think the most compelling evidence um, for, for Bigfoot? We definitely are collecting, you know, more and more footprints. Um, and like Dr. Jeff Meldrum and um, Cliff Bacharach are like, they are the um, foremost, you know, um, investigators on foot track research, and they have a vast collection. So um, they are the ones that I would look to for, you know, information on, on foot tracks. But we are finding more and more foot tracks. Um, but a lot of it goes into evidence collecting, you know, collection. And you have to do, if you're going to be a, a field researcher, you have to learn how to collect evidence without compromising it or, or you know, uh, tampering with it in the fact that you're getting your DNA on it because that can affect the, the lab results. So uh, if you're going out in the field and you're going to do this research, you have to have what I call your cryptozoologist forensic kit, you know, where you have rubber gloves, you have casting material, you have containers, whether they're plastic or paper, depending on what you are collecting. Obviously, you don't want to put scat in a paper bag because it's going to um, <laughs> it's going to seep through. Uh, so that's where you want to have those Ziploc bags. But for like hair and stuff like that, depending on how fine it is, um, craft stores are wonderful for you know getting all your different supplies. But you want to have things like you want to have tweezers, um, hemostats, just different things that will help you in the field collect this evidence so that you are not compromising it and you can send it off to a DNA lab or you can send it to somebody who does the eDNA and get those answers that everybody is, is looking for. So do they have DNA evidence for Bigfoot? There is um, different reports of them finding evidence that has DNA that is almost human but not quite there's that question mark area of there's something else with this and what you know it's a comparative study when you're doing dna of you compare your your evidence finding to what's already been so if somebody were to collect my dna um they would use that as um a comparison of like an ancestor who had passed away and we resumed, you know, exhumed the body to see if there was any, you know, um, comparison DNA. But my DNA um, that you would collect off me, let's say um, my miniature pincher has short hair, but let's say she had long hair. And you collected multiple strands that contained both my hair and her hair. Well, one would show up as being human with my DNA. One would show up with her DNA and they would, you know, you'd have to discriminate which one was the human, which one was the canine. Under evidence, I had encounters, of course, the sightings, and a lot of times it's by hunters. Yes. They'll be up, up in a I, I, I have heard lots and lots of stories over the years of hunters who go out and they're in their stands and they have, they have an experience that they cannot, um, they, 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 they see something 
or they have an encounter with something and they can't explain it and that is the very last time they've ever gone hunting that's what i was going to ask it's like how long does it take for you to get the courage to come down off the out of that yeah. Yeah. Love that sand, it's, you know? it's a long time some people yeah. may actually um they will call <laughs> yeah. people to come yeah. know, to come get them yeah. Uh, without really relaying, you know, oh, I think there's a bear in the area. So, you know, the people come in to chase off yeah. the bear and, and bring them back. And then later they say, no, it wasn't a bear. I think it was a Bigfoot, but they never want to go hunting again. I don't blame them. I don't blame them one bit. You know, when we had Phil Shaw on here, he talked about, because I want to bring up nest or shelters. And he said, well, they don't really need a nest or a shelter, but I think they do if they're having babies. Well, the, so... The concept of having a nest, a shelter, is so that, and, and I, little back history, for years I bred and showed miniature pinchers. Now, this is the first time in 10 years that I've had a litter of puppies, um, but it was like, it was like a reschooling because these current babies, they're, they're less than a week old, but they, um, the whelping box was not containing them. They were like literally like popping out like dee 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 and it's like get back in there get back in there so the primary purpose of a nest of any type is to contain your young but to keep predators something that can kill your young out and so with young you know when when until they're old enough to actually walk beside you you want them close by you want them contained so that you know exactly where they are and you have one site one location that you have to protect if, if a predator comes along, you want it so that your baby's behind you, it's safe, and you can deal with any predator that comes along. And so that's where this nest, you know, you will see the nest that they build. But deer do the same thing, and you wouldn't think that deer need I've seen a nest. where deer bed down, right? Yes, but they bed down, they break down the grass, and so they actually are hiding themselves visually from other predators scent wise they can't really hide themselves unless they roll in mud or or you know dung or so, you know stuff like that or they go through through a swamp and get that yucky smell to them but that's what the purpose of a nest is is to contain your young but also to give you a protective boundary so that if you have to defend against a predator who's coming in like i smell young I'm going to, you know, get an easy meal. Mom's there to say, no, you're not taking my baby. I can protect. Apparently, they're well hidden. Most of the sightings seem to be males, what they're figuring, male big Yeah, kids. males or a mom with a, a offspring who is being difficult. As a mom says, okay, it's time to get a move on, and baby still wants to grab three more apples and, and you know, be dropping them and fidgeting with them while mom's trying to, you know, let's get, let's get, let's get. Um for you know um for my sighting i couldn't tell whether it was a male or a female all i saw was the two hairy legs and then the waist of the creature the chest of the creature the head and shoulders of the creature was taller than where i was sitting in my vehicle so that kind of you know for me i don't know if i saw a male or a female but i do know i saw two very shaggy thick hairy legs that um should have been tree trunks, but they were, you know, covered in fur. So they yeah, were tree trunks. Yeah, saw Bigfoot. Yeah. So could you tell what color it was? The color? It was a, um, the best way I can describe it is the same color as a brownie. You know, it's black, but it's brown. Right. So it was, or I guess in, in dog colors, you would call that color seal. Um, but that's what I would reference the color as, is brownie colored because it wasn't black. But it wasn't brown. It, it had that kind of filter in between of, you know, being a mix of, of both. Where were you when you saw it? I was actually up in Minnesota, and I was just coming off of the two-lane highway from Ely, Minnesota, going up onto the four-lane highway that goes past Virginia. Yes. In Michigan, we have national forests, state forests, mm -hmm. county forests. We have a lot of trees, like I said, yes. billions. Have you ever been in the woods and got lost? No, because I like to stick to my trails. Yeah. Because um, I don't want to be one of those people who ends up on a 411 report. Oh, yeah. Uh, generally, when I'm out hiking, and I'm, I'm very selfish about my hiking, because if I'm going hiking, I want to see something cool. I want to see cool rock formations, waterfalls, 
um, things of that nature. Um, big, huge trees that, you know, or, you know, things that make me think I'm um, like on a, a uh, magical journey and I'm, I'm going to encounter something around the next corner. Uh, to me, growing up in Michigan and as a child, always going out in the woods and, and uh, you know, whether we were exploring in the woods or riding my horse in the woods or going berry picking in the woods, it's very boring now to see tree, 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 path, tree, 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 path, pond, tree, you know, I want to see you know, cool rock formations, cool waterfalls, stuff like that. And so, and Michigan has a little bit of that, but not really. So I really like, um, there's some, some trails um, in Indiana, Ohio that oof, I, I love to go on and, and my little girl likes to go on, my, my miniature pincher loves to go on. So um, the UP has some cooler trails than the lower part of the state, I will say that. Okay, yeah. I, I've been lost a couple of times, I'll admit it, out hunting, and it's a scary feeling when you're in the dense trees there and everything looks the same. Yes. You're not even sure what direction you're going anymore. Now, I think we covered evidence pretty good because you hit on some of those things already. You know, there's thousands of photos, footprint castings, handprints, hand castings, body impressions. You said scat. People are <laughs> collecting that. Yeah. Hair. I don't know if I, you bring little baggies with you, I guess, to be prepared for well, that sort of thing. And that's, you know, if, if you're going to do evidence collecting, that's something that you have to kind of anticipate, um, unless you're very good at knowing what kind of scat you're looking at. Um, you know, obviously, if it's, if it's large and it's human-like, you know, there's uh, not too many people who are regularly taking, you know, uh, restroom breaks out on the trails. <laughs> so, and especially if it's well, a trail depending that, where you're at. But. <laughs> uh, especially, you gotta go. <laughs> especially if it's a trail that, you know, not a lot of people are hiking on. So, yeah. you know, they don't allow that in some places. You take everything you, with you. Or you bury it six inches in, which, you know, depending on the trail that you're on, that can be kind of hard. You know? Or just yeah. go to California, you can do it right in the middle of the street. I see, there you go. <laughs> so there's a long list of evidence. I mean, I don't know how unsubstantiated it is. And then sightings go back, like we said, centuries are worldwide, every culture. Uh, sightings a lot of times go unreported, like so much of the paranormal, whether you see a ghost or UFO, whatever, people don't want to be thought of as being crazy. Exactly, and what a lot of people have to understand is just because there's not reports in an area doesn't mean that there's not a cryptid in that area. In order for a report to happen, a human being has to witness something and then make it back to civilization <laughs> and either report it or not report it. But that can, that's where we have you know, that, that you know, question mark of, of sightings is, how many people are actually seeing things, but they don't report it, and how many people see things and do report it, and then how many people actually see things and then never make it back to report it. Whether it's because they got uh, in oh injured no. on the trail, or another predator took them out, or a human being took them out. So there, you know, there, there's you know, quite a few question marks right there. Well, I have diet on my list, but I want to talk about this here that I made. Whether you think this might be unreasonable, this is 23 inches total from toe to heel, and this is because of what I read and what Phil Shaw, mm -hmm. when he was in here, he had actually said 24 inches, but I made this 23. Um, let's see. Nobody has their cell phones on there. I was going to... If you look, so there were there's two um, individuals in professional wrestling that I'm familiar with, Andre the Giant, and then the Big Show, um, and I believe I think Shaq falls into this category. I probably their their shoe <laughs> size is is over a size 18, so that's a sizable foot. So within the human population, we have foot sizes like so. I'm a size 10, and for me, all my life, ever since I was like a teenager, oh, you have big feet, you have big feet. You know, everybody says you have big feet. You know, and I'm like, mm, okay, you know, size 10 is, you know, pretty big. I mean, but then, you know, my, my cousin, who I love dearly, has size 13 feet, and I'm like, okay, so your feet are even bigger than mine, but then you have these professional athletes, whether they're pro wrestlers or football players or basketball players, who have even bigger feet. So 
in the human population, we have foot sizes that are bigger than average. And actually, that's the new normal. The size six that everybody, oh, that's the perfect foot size. That's not normal anymore. That's actually considered, you know, what's wrong with you? You have tiny feet. Um, so within the human population, we have these bigger foot sizes. So if you look at the Bigfoots, most of the Bigfoots that people are reporting are a size between eight foot tall and 12 foot tall, which is right around where some of these basketball players are. And so if you comparatively, you know, you put on a couple more hundred pounds of, of muscle, muscle and bulk, then you have your Bigfoot and you can have a foot size that big. I'm wondering, now Kodiak has a claw that's anywhere from three to five inches. Wouldn't this thing have a claw on it or some kind of toenail? They would have toenails like a human does. So if, you, if you've ever been to the zoos and um, you actually get a chance to see some of the primates up close, uh, whether they're in their indoor enclosures or they're out lounging around in the sun or whatever, um, you can look at their hands, you can look at their feet, and they have toenails just like we do. But they are, they are groomed back because they use... Oh, sure, they wear it off, I'm sure. Yes, they, right. they use their, their hands, their feet for making their you know, living, whereas, you know, ex well, for like human females, we tend to grow out our nails and paint them and everything like that um, because we have a more sophisticated lifestyle where we're not actually using our hands to like you know break bones and you know <laughs> stuff like that so um it's kind of the difference between being domesticated and non-domesticated humans are very domesticated you know we we wear clothing we use tools we brush our hair we you know um, put on makeup we brush our teeth we do our nails and if we don't do it ourselves then we go pay somebody to do it whereas if you were in an in a tribe of chimpanzees or gorillas or stuff like that, yes, there is a, a bonding that goes on where they groom each other, but they're not doing each other's nails. They're not, you know, uh, you know, taking plants and you know putting makeup on one another. They're not doing that. They, you know, I could see them wearing them down. I do buy yes. that, you know. Before we leave evidence, let's. I want to say sightings because there have been sightings in Grand Rapids, right here in Kent County. Ottawa, Muskegon, Allegan, Barrie, Ionia, Jackson County, uh, Oscata County, and the hot spots are like Sheboygan, Black River, West Branch. That's where Phil Shaw yes. was from. And uh, yeah, West Branch is a huge hot spot, and they they are actually the Bigfoot capital of Michigan. I believe that's their their claim to fame. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Rifle River, uh, China, Russia, Himalayan mountain range. Mm -hmm. um, those are all like where a lot of sightings are but yeah in this area close to us so it's pretty amazing that they've been that that close really diet i want to move on to diet because you kind of mentioned diet um briefly of what the bigfoot might eat so a bigfoot is an omnivore so they are not going to pass up a food opportunity so here in Michigan, we have, you know, like we discussed, we have, you know, Your our fruit, farms. berries. We, we have, yeah, we have corn. corn farms, but we, we have pumpkin farms. We have apple orchards, berry, you know, farms. Um, and in those apple orchards, you, you have peaches, pears, cherries. Um, Michigan is known for, you know, different types of food crops. But we also have deer. Deer, you said that, and elk seems we to have, be one we of their have, favorite meals. We have, we have a vast population of deer, but we also have rabbits, squirrels, chickmunks, um, raccoons, possums. Uh, we have the canines, we have the mountain lions, which are actually a little bit easier to avoid the Bigfoots. But then we also have salmon. We yep. have smelt, we have um, perch, we have freshwater clams. Um, we have a vast food resources, and then we have our dumping grounds, where the trash goes. Yeah, where which the black is, bears hang out. Yeah, which is where, I mean, you know, you, you think about um, if, you know, these dumpsters were left open. Think of how many creatures go in there, and the Bigfoots are no different. You think that they're going to pass up a free meal? Roadkill is on my list. I was just, yes, just, a, just an advice. 
Uh, don't do the John Candy in the great outdoors if you see a Bigfoot or a bear. <laughs> <laughs> he puts the candy bars on the car and drives off with like three bears on his car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, they're, they're omnivores. They are going to take whatever easy meal. If it's a fresh roadkill, they'll, they'll, you know, either they'll make fast work of that or a dogman or a um, wolf or a coyote or something will make off with, you know, parts of that roadkill, depending on how much is left of it after it's been hit by the car. But yeah, they, they are an equal opportunity, you know, eater. Fish, poultry, you said. And then, you know what? I got a couple other things on my list. Women and children. Um, it depends on, this is where those 411 reports come in. So if you make yourself a prey item, obviously you're a prey item and that that holds true for bigfoots dogman uh bears wolves mountain lions um anything that is big enough or hungry enough to take you down is going to um you know and that that applies to going out in the water too now in the great lakes we don't have sharks we don't have alligators but down a lot of salmon well, sometimes you, know, you do get sharks coming up into. No, they have come up into Lake oh, Michigan. Bull shark. No, yeah, that that it only happened once. Yeah, it's very rare, like and, the hurricanes. <laughs> but there, there's locks and gates yeah. all up and down the yeah. Mississippi and the Illinois River, because they're trying to control the silver carp population. Yeah. So anything after 1960 is kind of a hoaxed report okay. for a shark coming into the Great Lakes. Yeah. No bull sharks in Michigan. No. Hmm. I have to look at your book up again. There, there was the one report right there in the Chicago area where a gentleman had been bit, and they they claimed that there was a dorsal fin spotted. Now, yes, a bull shark can live in fresh water, but our Great Lakes um, around the coastline is you know the the warmest parts. So if there was a a bull shark cruising the shallow parts, people would be reporting this, like constantly. But our Great Lakes only stay warm in July, August, and depending on the heat into September, but the winds cool down the water very, very quickly. So a bull shark actually goes canatonic um, once it starts going into 60 to 40 degree weather or water, and our lakes hit that real fast. I could see if somebody maybe getting it mixed up with a giant carp or a sturgeon or something like that. A sturgeon that never stopped growing, right? I think we covered Bigfoot really well. I did want to cover another thing on the diet because Phil Shaw, when we had him, he was talking about one of the reasons we don't find them is because he believes they're cannibalistic. So that way they eat, you know, if they eat the dead, so then you, you, you much harder to find the remains. Which but of course, remains disappear very quickly in the wild Mm -hmm. just on its own because of how, you know, well, the, the thing about it is, so skeletal frames, bones are made up of um, mostly calcium. And then you've got a lot of trace elements that are not easily found in the wild. So when animals come across any type of skeleton, they will take whatever parts they can carry to gnaw on them to get that calcium, particularly mothers or pregnant mothers, um, calcium is a very, very hard um, commodity to find in the wild. So a lot of um, rodents, uh, raccoons, uh, possums, stuff like that, canines, when they come across a, a skeleton, they will grab every bone that they can get to chew on it. And that's actually how we have found different fossilized um, like teeth and bones in caves is because the smaller creatures have drugged them into the caves, trying to um, stockpile them as a resource, and then either they get killed or um, you know something happens so that they can't get back into the cave, and so that is kind of preserved for you know history, and so that's you know actually how we found um, different teeth over the years is because rodents have collected them and taken them and hid them and then we as humans find them right anything else on bigfoot i don't have anything okay well there's so many other cryptids that you are involved with and that some of the names are just like snallygaster it's one of them well the snallygaster i included it in my book and 
Um, it's kind of a creature of folklore that I believe the um, moonshiners right. collect or created because if they came up with this reason for people not to go into the woods, they won't find the stills. Exactly. <laughs> and so, but they had to come up with with reasons why there would be billowing smoke or loud bangs, you know, from their from their moon, you know, shine stills. So they came up with these reasons that, you know, oh, the snelly guest was doing that. and Because it was a fire-breathing dragon. Dragon, right? yes. And so um, I just thought that was, that was very inventive and uh, resourceful of the moonshiner. So that I actually do have a, a chapter in the book about the snelly gaster, um, just because it was, it was like, well, it is folklore, but, you know, I can see the whole process of why they the would details. why they would come up with this creature yeah and that's what a lot of you know like the legends and stuff because even like back then it'd be like parents wanting to keep their kids yes from going into the you know because oh, there right. is actual predators in the woods but you make this big scary animal yeah sure so then they're Stay afraid the to woods. go in there so then then that legend builds because that passes on to their kids and it builds on as it goes yeah the bump in the do, night theories know? is yeah is, yeah but the explains the fire and smoke from the still if mm -hmm. it's a fire breathing dragon yep. Gargoyles, Brandon, can you grab that gargoyle and maybe get it a little closer to well, the camera? Let's see if I can do it without losing, losing my mic. mic. My mic's broken, so. Oh, Bart, can you? I'll set it down here. Okay, that's <laughs> holding now. Now it's going. <laughs> it's Mary brought this. Mary has a collection of gargoyles. I do. So I, love gargoyles. I knew you I guys would get along when we were talking on the radio. That's so cool. That's one of your smaller ones, right? That's the small one, yes. Okay. Yeah. I have bigger ones. You just got one for a gift. I did. I get I get all sorts of gargoyles. I've, for some reason, they, I get gifted. <laughs> my, my husband buys me several, and then um, my friend Kristen Roberts, she gave me a small one that was out of her garden when she was moving because I kept touching it. Uh -huh. So she knew that I liked it. And then um, over, over several years, I've just kind of collected them. My daughters bring them to me. When I, I had um, I had a reading done and he painted um, a painting for me and there was a black creature behind me. He's like, I'm not sure what this is. And then um, a couple of weeks later, my daughter brought me a gargoyle that she had bought and it was the exact same picture, holding the same thing. I'm like, <laughs> oh, because he's like, he goes, you have this in your energy, it, it protects you. So I think gargoyles. And that's are what they were for protection. You know, there's three types: animal, human. And then grotesque, the scary kinds. They put them on top of churches to make them so, so scary that they would scare evil away. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of the Batman theory, you know. Yeah, gargoyles. I wouldn't want to run into one of those. You had a story about a gargoyle, somebody that thought they saw one. Well, and, and I do believe he did. Um, so I was at a convention, um, the Butler County um, Paranormal uh, Convention that's in uh, Pennsylvania. And I had just got done doing my presentation, got back to my table, and a gentleman came up to me and he said, I'm so glad you talked about the Chikora gargoyle or the Butler County gargoyle. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, that's, you know, um, one that I've been researching. He said, I've seen it. And I said, what? He said, I've yeah. seen it. And I, I hadn't quite finished my Mothman book yet. So uh, I said, do you want to give me your report? He said, yeah. So I gave him my business card and... And it was interesting as I was driving home, which it was like a seven hour drive home, he was emailing me his account of it. And so the, the story goes, he was driving down a rural country road and he was driving past these people's house and there was what he thought at the time was this gigantic concrete gargoyle. Yeah, lawn ornament. <laughs> and he thought that is the coolest, you know, Halloween decoration I've ever yeah, seen. Right. That must have cost them a lot of money. And as he's driving past it, he notices the head turns and watches him drive <laughs> past. And then as as he's going past and he's like, what the hell am I seeing? He notices a commotion in his rearview mirrors and he's not quite sure, but he believes that it it's at that moment that it decides to launch itself up yeah. the arm, up in the air. So um, now I can't remember if he says in the report that if the house was vacant or if somebody was living there, but the next morning he's driving back past that house and he's like, oh, I'm going to get to see if that thing's still there and it's completely gone. And so the, and the thing, the interesting thing to me was um, 
he said there was no because this if it was made out of concrete or marble or anything like that it has to weigh quite a bit that's a heavy object yeah. that's going to because i know with working with my dad on different stuff when we're using our his tractors we're running up the gar you know the the ground with it um if we're trying to pick up big logs or stuff like that it's it's running so i'm thinking if if he, they pulled it somewhere or they picked it up or something there would have been a physical mark left on the yeah, ground yeah you seen that and he said he he didn't say in his report that there was any marks seen so he was um very convinced that he saw what had been reported for for a while as the this gargoyle creature flying cryptid yeah i oh i don't want that i don't like that. i couldn't imagine it's flying after me i'd be driving off the road for sure well i i have a question about one of the flying cryptids in your book when i do um my psychic readings i i read with a, a native american uh -huh. deck one of my favorite cards in that deck is the thunderbird uh -huh. and for me i always pull it and it it tells me that the people are well protected that even though the thunderbirds brought in the storm they also protected the people from the storm so when i read the story that you have in here about the thunderbird that comes in and uh takes a 65 pound child that kind of that kind of right. creeps That's me one out of the most so famous thunderbirds so right? there there is a separation between native american legends of the thunderbird and what it it is and that kind of varies um depending on location here in the great lakes it is the enemy of the underwater panther and so it kind of controls what the underwater panther does with you know storms in the lakes um because in order to get from shore to shore people had to cross in canoes and that was a you would pray to the the uh um spirit gods the manitou to protect you from the other and the that was the thunderbird's job but in other parts of the country he was a more of a predator and he would eat braves you know uh warriors but the thunderbird that they're talking about in the illinois report is actually a flesh and blood bird that they are not sure if it was a condor or what it was because if you read the description of it it's a dark body with a white ring of feathers around the neck hooked beak hooked beak so in most people i'll pull the room what would you if i gave you that description and said it was a bird big enough to carry off a child what would you say well it sounds like some kind of a predator um scavenger okay but but it, condor yes okay so you would say condor what would you say there's a lot of big <laughs> i'm just trying to think with the hook i'm not really a bird expert but <laughs> okay something like a vulture, vulture okay right. so we would all come up with this big raptor type bird raptor, right. the strange thing is is there is this the great lakes are not a known territory for those birds but if we travel back many you know centuries down in south america at one time there was a bird that was they say it was more it would have it would have looked like a modern day raven but it was called um argentinus magnificent and it was a bird that could have rivaled a a small airplane now that is a bird that's big enough that's and strong bird. enough to pick up a 65 pound child and carry it for a little distance swallow them whole i think um now this is you know coming from south america but as we know birds can travel to anywhere as long as there's not a barrier so what's to say that there wasn't you know somewhere in the south american jungles there's not a extinct not extinct population of these birds and for whatever reason whether it was deforestation or fires or whatever human encroachment that a breeding population of them decided that they would flee fly as far north as they could which would have been probably the great lakes eat around here for a little while and then fly back if a bird has that big of a wingspan sure. they can do that within you know within a day's travel if they're on the thermals they can glide up and yeah yeah we, we really got to wrap this up the time <laughs> is up i mean i don't know if we're digging these um, coal mines and stuff are crawling out of them exactly where all these 
cryptids are coming from. It's the flying cryptids that's really I'm worried about, especially <laughs> if I have one following me. But lake monsters, mothmen, and gargoyles, oh my. Your books are just jam-packed. Lake monsters and odd creatures of the Great Lakes and Mothman. Read the entire... Uh, Mothman and Other Flying Creatures of the Midwest. Two great books. Pick those up. I want to do quick uh, shout-outs to um, Esther Joy, who we talked to on the radio, Kim Colleen, who's at home, Ben Goldman, who was here last, Gary Indiana with Pretty Boy Films from Gary, Indiana, Lisa, Lisa Perrone, she's an astrologer. She's in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Phil Shaw and Rick Meyer, these are my Bigfoot guys. Um, so shout out to those guys, <laughs> right? Uh, Harold Richardson from Real Tennessee Ghost Hunters. Bohemian Kimmy, I know you're out there somewhere, so hi to you. Hi to the entire paranormal community. We're going to skip final thought. My final thought was Indrid Cold, but we got to say something because you're going to be back around Halloween. Yeah. So we got we to share some stuff. Helen Keller, I'm going to leave us with this quote from Helen Keller. Optimism is the faith that leads to achievement. Nothing can be done without hope and confidence. So to everybody out there, I say keep the faith. Stay optimistic. We'll get through this together. Peace out. The opinions expressed in the preceding program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media. Thank you.